What were you listening to Walking the Dog today, music wise? Oh, oh, Colin, I was listening. You'd, I was listening to Shirley Bassey. Shirley, actually, Bassey. yes. There you go. I was and listening you... to Shirley Bassey. Were you starting the day story. with our Shirl? Imagine walking the dog, and everybody's a bit kind of heads down, and in my head. I've got some fabulous woman in a gold glitter dress belting out songs. That's it's what a I way to walk the dog, isn't it? <laughs> the only way. Anyway, I should say on this Easter Thursday, isn't it? Good heavens. I'd like to welcome, I would say, probably the West End's best musical theatre director. He's an arranger and composer. It is Mr. Greg Arrowsmith. How are you, Mr. Greg Arrowsmith? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Delighted to be here. Good. Now, tell me how many shows do you think you have done in the West End? Well, it's it, it's quite a lot. Um, going back, I, was, I, I did the maths actually not long ago, and this is actually my 26th year. Wow. Um, not exclusively in the West End, but working in this kind of um, the theatre world all over the world. So, yeah, I think in that time, I probably average two or three a year. So I'm, I'm probably up to 100 odd shows uh, in total now. You don't look old enough. <laughs> uh, that's very nice of you to say so, but I don't think any of the listeners could uh, verify that, unfortunately, not being able to see me. So, And uh, how, how did you start? I mean, if there is someone out there in the creative industries and thinks, oh, music is the thing for me or musical director is the thing, how, how did you get into it? Well, a, a lot of it, to be honest, is luck. Um, a lot of it's being in the right place at the right time and being and able to demonstrate the correct skills to the correct people at the right time. Um, and the, the world of musical theatre is actually very big. Um, there are a lot of opportunities at all different levels. And I started, as many people do in um, amateur dramatics as, as a musician, uh, actually as a clarinetist. Um, and kind of just one thing leads to another. Uh, you end up doing slightly larger local shows and they become slightly smaller national shows and they become slightly larger national shows and then before you know it you're you're, you're in the west end i mean obviously that's makes it sound like it's easy <laughs> which of course it isn't uh, but that was that was my route really and, and how did you start on music what who taught you the piano for instance because you play the piano like a dream uh, if if you haven't heard greg play the piano he's probably the best accompanist and uh, conductor pianist that there is so how, how did you learn the piano well, I, I'm actually self-taught. Um, my my dad played uh, and played entirely by ear, uh, but I actually have no formal education or training in music at all. So everything that I've done, I've done by sitting down at a piano and playing it um, until basically either I got whatever I wanted to get right, right, or I had my parents slam the lid on my fingers. I'm really interested to hear you say you're self-taught because I have a hunch that self-taught is almost better. I I try to get my first child to learn clarinet, to learn piano, to learn all kinds of things. And we nagged her and nagged her and nagged her. The pain was so great. The scars are so deep that when my second child came along, I just thought, I am not asked with this. We are not going down the musical instrument route. And over lockdown, my youngest has taught herself to play the guitar to an exceptional level just because she loves it and she's playing it every night and it's her passion and her drive and now she started on the piano so do you think do you think when it comes from you and there's that kind of drive within you it, it's a far better approach um i i think 
what it is is it's uh, it's just an easier approach uh, because you're actually doing something which you want to do and and as a young person there are aren't that many opportunities in the education system to do what it is that you want to do um we're often kind of put into little um into little categories in education of science english and maths and all these kinds of things which if they're not appealing to you no amount of having the best teacher in the world or trying to disguise it as something else actually works it is still the 17 times table no matter how you look at it so if it's something that you're teaching yourself and that you want to learn and it doesn't have to be music it can be languages or engineering or anything that anybody wants to do um you definitely get a lot better results a lot more quickly yeah. Um, which, of course, then inspires you to carry it's on. It's weird that, though, isn't it? It sort of puts education on its head because we spent, you know, hours sort of forcing people to learn stuff when really it should be like a, a pull operation where you sort of pull things that you want to know towards yourself. Y- yeah, I mean, some schools nowadays have a slightly different approach to teaching music, whereas they actually try and get um, students to get results on instruments before they work out how they've got them um and it's a kind of test uh, test way of teaching but it does seem to be working particularly with students like myself who would traditionally have been considered less academic if you are a more practical sort of person it's good to get a result out of something straight away and then if if that ignites enough of an interest you can go back and think right why has that worked and how can i use those skills to make me better at it Marina is loving that kind of discovery, and I can see that all around. When I'm when I when I've taught people in the past, or when I've when I go on my journeys to creativity and kind of finding stuff out, it's the hunt. She's on the internet, just finding all kinds of people playing all kinds of things, and it's her own landscape. It's re- there's a really kind of there's a real uh, wealth of opportunity out there now online, isn't there, for people to just pick up on stuff and learn whichever bit, develop whichever bit they want to. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I was younger, uh, back in the late 1850s, um, I used to have to get on my bike and cycle to Swindon Library. I can, I can remember doing it to go and get LPs wow. out. And my thing when I was, when I was kind of in my, uh, very early teens, you know, kind of 11 to 13 was, um, the Mozart symphonies. And I used wow. to save my pocket money and I used to go to Swindon Library on my little push bike and, and borrow these, um, albums and you'd be allowed them for one or sometimes two weeks if you got special permission though there never seemed to be a particularly large uh, queue of people waiting for them when I bought them back I have to say but um yeah that that was my thing and that uh, that really helped with my musical language and although we talk about formal education and, and and training as being so very important what you learn by listening to Mozart I think is as important as what you learn by understanding what he's done. I can't get the done. image of him as a as his, as a little twelve year old child <laughs> cycling <laughs> to Swindon Library and getting out Mozart albums. I, you must have been out, a hit with the ladies. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'd like to point out that I didn't live in Peterborough at the time because that would have been a, quite a journey. <laughs> when did you come out? Did you declare yourself at school and suddenly go? By the way, I can do this. Or well, it, it's it's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? Being being young because. I think a lot of young people truly believe that everything they're doing is the coolest thing in the world. And it was quite a shock to me to discover that it actually wasn't. Um, uh, so I, I think from about, yeah, from about secondary school age, I was so confident that what I was doing was the right thing to do. And everyone who was playing football or, you know, rugby or cricket or doing any of those things that are, that are actually cool. I, I remember feeling terribly sorry for them. 
that they weren't sitting in the music block playing the clarinet or the piano. Um, and, and it's strange how when you believe in something so much, people do accept you. How amazing. Um, because it was an unusual situation. I grew up in, um, uh, by now we had, our family had moved and I, uh, we were in a mining town in Nottinghamshire. And it was quite unusual to have a teenage boy who wanted to play the, the piano and the clarinet. That having been said, um, we were hugely supported by a wonderful art service, which of course has now been disbanded in order to make room for another car park. But, but it meant that on Saturday mornings, me and a group of like-minded people um, all went off to toddled off to workshop and did an extra three hours of music tuition entirely paid for by um the council so anyone who was in state education was allowed to do these things and from that i was given the opportunity to go and work at the edinburgh festival because they paid i think for 120 of us uh, to go up to the edinburgh festival every year everything paid for um all all state money wow all I can say is, uh, th- thank goodness we don't do things like that anymore. What a terrible waste well, that was. Well, you might end up with geniuses or something, might you? It's too much of a risk. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, to, yeah. That's the last uh, thing we want. Talking of geniuses, before you came on our podcast, we, we set you a little challenge, which was to bring a few thoughts with you. Have you had any thoughts about creativity, do you think? What makes you creative or or things you've learned along this amazing road from um swindon to nottingham (laughs) well I, i think the most important thing about being creative is to not allow either yourself or anybody else to determine what your boundaries are um I think if if you go into a project thinking that there's a ceiling on what you might achieve you will inevitably fall below it so whenever I get a new job, whether it be to um, orchestrate a song that everyone in the world has heard and we need a new version of it, or to create something completely from scratch, uh, for, for example, a, a project I've been doing up in schools in Cambridge recently um, has been to take lyrics and art that students have come up with and turn it into um, a 15-minute piece of music which is shared across six schools. Um, if, if you start a project like that thinking we're going to be limited by student hours, staff availability, um, musicians availability, uh, quality of work, uh, quality of language, then you end up with something which represents those things. If you go into it thinking this could be the most inspiring project that any of these young people have been involved with to date, then suddenly you find yourself being able to do a lot more. It's interesting that that because Colin and I work together quite a bit and we when we're working we're often saying to people you know encouraging them to have great ideas and the bit that people love most is the bit where they get to sort of purge themselves of all the things that people say as reasons why things can't happen and it's the biggest barrier because and there's there's stock phrases every every kind of group that we work with there are a set of stock phrases as to why you can't push yourself further and just having you as your first point, vocalise, don't allow people to determine your boundaries. Did you have anyone that encouraged you and said that to you? Or or indeed, was there someone on the, on the flip side that actually did set a boundary and you just thought, I'm going to bulldoze through it? Well, I think, um, I think the nature of music means that from a very young age, I was surrounded by a group of very diverse people with very diverse thinking. And uh, when they become your kind of friends and peers, you, you learn about boundaries in a very different way. 
um, I was very, very lucky. I remember uh, what the, the conductor of this um, choir I used to sing in in Retford, um, a man called Martin Yates, uh, was hugely inspirational. I so admired everything that he did. Um, and for a, for a job, he was a primary school teacher. But at night, he, he became this sort of... Um, messiah-like musician who could who could hear anything and could play anything and who really welcomed me into his world and and um i I think from that point onwards it it became apparent that uh boundaries and restrictions are very much in your head in the artistic world um and there isn't anything that you can't think about and i remember writing some terrible compositions when i was about 14 and sending them to him and saying would you look at these and tell me what's uh good bad or indifferent about them and one of the first things that he responded to me was well you've spelt concerto wrong um (laughs) but uh But, but he then went into this great sort of depth about how you shouldn't write a, a, um, a flute so close to the top of the right hand of the piano part and all these kinds of things that um, made me think, right, I'm going to go and look at that and find out why I shouldn't do that. And I'll listen to examples where people have got that wrong and, and think, you know, I mustn't do this. And um, so I think he would be a very strong influencer. Um, I also had great music staff at the state schools that um i studied in who uh just incredibly supportive and and let me do basically run wild with every as long as i did my coursework which i had to do to get gcse and a level music everything else they just let me let me do it you know so i was emptying shows at the schools i was um, writing new band parts for them setting up bands just doing things creative and interesting things um with their support which was fantastic when when your kids come home because you've got two lovely daughters and say someone has shut them down somehow or whatever what what do you say to them well it's it's a difficult one because i think actually teachers are are wonderful and uh, i think um both my kids go to um, a lovely state school um in in cambridgeshire and they are encouraged um to do extracurricular activities and allow things um to happen that aren't stuck completely in the school syllabus so i don't think they've ever been told no to anything i think the the issue is that people are scared to have an imagination these days because it doesn't fit into boxes so unless you're of the personality type that says right i've done that now i can do this um there will be a lot of people who aren't pushing themselves or aren't allowing themselves to go on these creative journeys and, and try creative things. Um, because it's such a yes or no society. You know, do I tick that box? If not, that's it. That's the end of the road. And I think when you're taught that from the age of sort of four or five up to 18, which really are the, the formative and important years, it takes a long time to undo it. And what I discover in my teaching works, I teach at various universities and colleges around the country, is that young people now, the, the kind of 19 to 25 group that I mainly deal with, are very different to what they were 10 years ago. They're very afraid of their imaginations. They're very afraid of having opinions. Um, whereas it used to be that you could have an, an opinion on anything, say what you wanted, and the consequence would be a discussion about it. Now, th- that might result in the person changing their mind. Uh, but I, somebody once said, a person who's able to change their mind is a person who displays great intellect um and, but of course nowadays it's so difficult to say anything because we're on the back foot all the time we're always worrying and thinking what are the consequences of my 
thoughts going to be? Therefore, what are the consequences of what I say going to be? And therefore, why don't I just shut up and sit here and be quiet? And I think, I think that's a far bigger problem, um, than anything which is going on necessarily in, in schools or in education to stunt it. It's, it's society has created this bizarre world where no one can do anything. If you were growing up now, do you think you might have struggled then? Um, I would certainly have struggled to conform. Um, be, I mean, I struggled enough to conform when I when we didn't have these sorts of constraints on thought and uh, and, and action. But nowadays, I think it's I, I would have found it very very difficult. Yes, because it's it's almost got to the point where you're afraid to ask a question anymore. Give me an example. So. Here's an example. I was teaching a group the other day, um, and I played them a piece, uh, a piece of music from Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. Um, and I said, I want you to imagine, while we're performing this, what those wonderful Viennese ballrooms used to look like, and with those huge great orchestras and those wonderful costumes. And firstly, I was struck by the fact that very few people were able to offer an imaginative view of what those things might look like. And secondly, a student with a completely clear conscience and not trying to create an argument at all said, why would it have to be a Viennese one? <laughs> and, <laughs> and and I, 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 I really struggled to think, well, because that's what I'm asking you to think about. But the fact that I'd given a nationality immediately okay. triggered something in their mind which is we shouldn't be going down this route it's i, I and in the end i said well may, maybe it was a, a french one um <laughs> i don't think the french course, that would have looked slow, completely different <laughs> no, no, no but but, but you understand <laughs> my, my point of it being i do understand your point you yeah. know virtually i can't even ask anybody to imagine something now without potentially running into a political debate about oh, it word. There's a formula now for rebellion, isn't there? There are certain routes you can go down, I'm finding, uh, to be uh, not the norm. But you have to be the norm in quite an organised and safe way. So if you're an outlier, you have to be type A, B or C outlier. And there's, there's, no, <laughs> there's no type N or J. I'm feeling oh, decidedly dear. naughty. I was so naughty at school. I, would, I, I wouldn't be able to exist <laughs> I don't think. What's, what's your second thought that you came up with about creativity, Greg? Well, I, I think it's don't just apply it to one thing. Um, I, I think uh, creative people are creative sometimes across the board. Now, for example, I'm the world's worst painter. <laughs> I literally, I would struggle to draw a cat. <laughs> um, but one thing I have discovered is that doing other things which I enjoy, uh, like cooking, um, and experimenting and being creative in another area can really help your main discipline. How interesting. And it's something to do with freedom and, and getting rid of rules and experimenting with things that, that really helps. And over lockdown, actually, there's, there's been a limit to how much somebody who, uh, works in my industry can actually do. And so I, I've, I've set about, um, building things out of stuff that I find. So I've been building, you can just see in the background there, I've built a chandelier out of an old bit of driftwood. I wondered what that was. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's 
It's yeah, a chandelier. It's, it's got five light bulbs which hang down and then can be adjusted. And the idea is that it hangs over um, a, a kitchen island or a pool table or something like that. Um, and I found that that sort of um, escapism has been really helpful for me. Is it? Is it because maybe you you might not be an expert in it so it's quite nice doing something where you feel like you can be creative and actually not be very good at it or or fail a bit yeah totally um because uh it, it's so good to let yourself fail because then you, you don't do it next time you know so if i accidentally drilled through the dining room table the first time then i would make sure the second time the drill was nowhere near the dining room table you know and it's um and that makes you better at it radical but effective <laughs> <laughs> but you you seem to me to be somebody who is like you're oozing creativity it seems completely innate do you believe there are people who are naturally more creative than others Yes. Yes, I, I, I do. Without blowing your trumpet, though, um, you have perfect pitch. You uh, have this amazing skill, which you should describe. When you've arranged for me, it's almost like you can hear the parts and just write them out. How does that work? How, how do you describe how you do things like that? Well, I... I honestly think um, it comes from me having nothing else in my head while I'm doing it. So when I when I get a, a commission to write something, um, that becomes my focus for those moments. And it, it doesn't matter whether I'm on a, a train or, um, you know, going on holiday or, or whatever it may happen to be. In those moments, that's all I'm doing. So... Um, for example, when I arrange something for you, um, I'll put in my piano part, I'll put in my vocal part, and then I'll I'll look at the lyrics and I'll think, right, that lyric there, what does that sound like it needs to be supported by instrumentally? Uh, now, uh, what would that, what range in that instrument would represent what the mood of the song is doing at this point? And I go through these kinds of processes so that I've got all these little um, colours on the palette that I can then just basically splash onto the page. Um, I never listen to anything uh, before I print it, ever. I'll, I'll always write it and I'll nev I never play it back. I, I don't actually have the uh, software to play it back. I, I just write it and send it out uh, because I, I prefer to hear it in my head. It, it, you, you must have just this, this sense of confidence that when you send something out it's gonna be okay i'd be so petrified i'd have listened back to it 58 times and ruined it do you know what i mean or where where does that confidence come from well i suppose it comes from having done it for so long and, and i'm sure that when i started i would have been more cautious and um, it's it's also come from spending a life with musicians i know what musicians want to see on their page and what they don't want to see on their page um and i think giving giving whoever's playing what i've written the uh, the 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 basic tools to make what i want them to make uh, is as much of a skill as telling them what to do um a thing i learned i haven't done very much orchestral conducting but that which I have done is that these wonderful musicians who in many ways are at the absolute top of their craft, they don't want to be told how to play. They want to be told when to play. Um, and, and if you, if you're able to adopt that kind of mindset to whichever group of people you're working with, 
So a session musician will need to know, for example, every little detail so that they're not the ones who are stuck holding the session up. That's a completely different set of rules and um and needs to somebody uh, who's you've got six weeks of bang calls and you're starting from scratch with so it's it's kind of adapting what you send out to to where it's going to end up another really interesting message that it's or telling people it's not how you do it but giving them the, the vacuum to fill isn't it totally totally and very often i'll i'll know the people i'm working with the music world is huge but we all have little pools within it of people that we regularly work with and out of those pools there will then be a slightly larger pool of people you know by name or reputation um and and so on so yeah it's it's definitely not that big a job to give people exact almost tailor-made parts when you were talking before you were talking about you do this a lot you've got that confidence where you can hear it in your head and you you've got you sound so self-confident about what you create and I was wondering, have you ever had your creative confidence completely knocked by somebody? No, um, I've never had my creative confidence knocked. I mean, the truth is that show business is vicious. Uh, and there are times when you don't get jobs that you know you should have. And there are times when other people get jobs that you know they shouldn't have. And you also know how they've got them, but you can't say that because then it looks like sour grapes. And, you know, all these kinds of things you do have to deal with. But I think the truth is you're responsible for your cre creativity and you're not responsible for how anybody else thinks of it. Kind of means it's as long as... It's making me reassess so many things in my head. <laughs> Maybe I, uh, you know, I was lucky I had a a fantastic teacher that once said you're going to do special things and i still remember where i was and when it was at, by the second but i've never got to that stage where i've thought it lies with me the creativity and a bit bugger off you know what i mean it's like isn't it <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah um I, as long as i'm happy with it when it leaves my head the rest is someone else's problem and if, if they don't want me to do it, they can get someone else to do it. That's that's equally no problem. So your third creative thought. My third creative thought. Um, I don't know if I have one. Well, here's the thing, then. Here's the thing. Of the three of us, I would I'd be the person I would say I'm not very creative at all because I don't you know, I don't play an instrument. And I, you know, I, I list all the things I don't do. Um and to all those people who would who feel they would like to be more creative or kind of really flex their creative muscles, have you got a piece of advice you would give to sort of timid creatives? Yeah, um, I absolutely have. And it, it's ever so simple. It's get outside and have a good walk. I, I think we spend so much of our lives watching other people's creativity, whether it be on, on TV, on um, film on uh, TikTok or whatever that thing's called that sounds like a suite um, and, and all that stuff. These are other people who have done things, who have spent their time and used it creatively. And so many people sit there in awe of these things, but do nothing about um, potentially exploring how they might have done it. And I think if you get out, of, get out of your house, go for a walk, it doesn't matter where it is, get out amongst nature, do whatever you can and clear your mind of other people's ideas, you've got a far better chance of being able to access your own. I still do it every morning. I try and walk, you know, maybe 
six or seven miles a day um just to try and uh get away from even my own thoughts get away from what i've been doing the day before that could have been my third thing if i'd thought more carefully about it couldn't it Yes. Now, I should declare to our lovely listeners that you very, very kindly gave us a gift. The gift of our jingle. Which you will have heard at the Ah, beginning of this podcast. Now, again, that just arrived in about two minutes. And then you gave me five different versions. And I mean, where did that come from? How, How did you just write five out and send it to me so quick? Well, I suppose it comes from you gave me a clear brief. You told me what the what it was for, when it would be used, and I thought, well, that's what I would expect to hear at that time um, and in that circumstance. Uh, and then I thought, uh, you know, gave you a few options of major key, minor key, those those kinds of things, um, all in the same time signature, because I felt like it it belonged in uh, in a kind of square time signature but yeah it, it, the the kind the variables uh were all given to me by you so we alex and i are a square time signature how interesting we're not a viennese waltz <laughs> at all are we you put, not very day. Well, you've put us into a firm marching spirit, haven't you? <laughs> I've never thought of myself in a four time signature before, but that's that's me dead said. I should thank you, uh, Greg, for spending the time with us. It's it's so interesting hearing someone who's an expert and genius in something I, I just would never be able to do, if you know what I mean. It's it's thrilling to hear how you how you think. <laughs> yeah, and really inspiring as well, Greg. I, it just feels every bit of advice that you gave. You, I think I'm going to do that. So yeah, thank you so much. Before you oh, go, it's been an absolute pleasure. Before you go, yes. how are the chickens? Yes, the chickens are very, very well. Actually, I, I cleaned them out yesterday, so they're looking extremely pleased with themselves. That um, they're, they're still uh, encaged because of the bird flu outbreak. Um, they're not allowed to mix with other wild birds at the moment. So I've built them um, uh, a house which is about twenty meters long and about. Uh, probably 15 metres wide, which might seem a bit excessive for six chickens, but they're very, very happy in there. To our loyal listeners, he's a chicken whisperer. That's why I say they absolutely love him. They sit on his head. They they adore him. They do. <laughs> As I said to him at the end, I, found it, I just found it hugely inspiring. That piece of advice, which is just clear your head, and just let creativity sort of happen from nothing. Don't be intimidated by, influenced by anybody else. Just believe in what's inside you. I just found that hugely inspiring. It is true. The kids of today, don't they? Just sort of desperately try and mop up influences and how to sing in a pop song and how to... They don't, they don't seem to have the originality or the risk that Greg's talking about because it it has to be like something else. Also, the kind of self-editing that's going on. When he said he could notice a difference in the space of 10 years, I found that sort of interesting and at the same time terrifying. Isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I find it terrifying that someone who should be hungry for ideas like a sponge would say, why Viennese? It just sounds like it's limiting everything before you've even started having a conversation doesn't it yeah yeah really i just found that really interesting how how do you live a creative life and have the confidence not to listen to or to set those boundaries do you think 
I don't know, you just said a word there, which I was about to say that the same word, confidence, it's about creative confidence, isn't it? And just thinking there are no, there are voices coming at me from all angles or innate rules and regulations that I've kind of built up in myself where, where I think I can't go places. How very freeing to just think, do you know what? I'm just going to give things a go and see what happens. Yeah, I thought and that when was, he, when, was he, when he said that, you know, when it comes out of my head, that's it. I'm done with it. It's up to them what they do with it. Yeah. It's, uh, at the end when I said, oh, you know, thanks so much. And it's been really personally helpful. It definitely has. I think I won't start certain things because I think, well, they're not really going to be very good. So I'll, I'll wait and I'll try and learn some more and I'll try and get a bit better before just diving into something. And I promise, brownies honour, whatever, Colin, this weekend, I'm going to get writing on the on the basis of that second point that he made. Just give it, give something new a go. It doesn't matter whether you're good at it or not. You're creating and you're doing something different. So, with that, I'm holding you to it. I'm saying goodbye to everyone, and we expect the first line of your writing next podcast. There you go. <laughs> okay. That's your challenge. It's a deal. It's a deal. <laughs>